Here we are. Friday of Holy Week, the day of the Lord Jesus' crucifixion. It's the culmination of many, many terrible things that happened to Jesus. Some done to him by those who loved him with their whole hearts and in the thick of it ran away and betrayed him. The one whom was called Rock denies him three times at his most desperate hour. And by many who witnessed his healings, were skeptical of his healings, were threatened by his teachings and presence, were screaming, crucify him. And Barabbas, the thief, the murderer, the criminal, is freed in Jesus, the innocent one. Is taken to be beaten and then to be murdered. Good Friday is never really <laughs> a time of the year that I think I've known how to grasp in its fullness. I feel like there's always this schizophrenia, right? When I'm thinking about the crucifixion too much, I tend to go to Easter too quickly. And when I'm at Easter, I tend to think of the crucifixion too much. I don't know if that's just because I've been taught or um, I've just uh, swam in an ocean of dialectic thinking, which is just this part of uh, study or it's a discipline in which you try to bring two worlds together that are seemingly different and reconcile it to where you can bring meaning out of them both, even though they seem so starkly opposed to one another, such as death and resurrection. But yeah, it, it, it's it's hard for me to grasp how how deep. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to get cheesy on us, but I'm a two two songs. How deep the Father's love for us is, and that uh, old bridge to that old song that I'll never know. How much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. In the person of God. God in the flesh. We see him hanging in between two criminals. And it is the most vile atrocity. that one could ever witness. And yet the crescendo of God on the cross is not one of contempt, of hatred, or even a spirit of vengeance. It is one of satisfaction in his life where he says, it is finished, and Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's crazy when you think back on Jesus's life and he's talking to the disciples with all these mysterious parables and just wacky ideas. He really was about the life he talked about. Remember <laughs> the Jesus juke he gave the disciples when uh, he uh, was doing ministry for a long time and they were hungry and needed some food and they were like, 
teacher, you got to eat. And he says, <laughs> my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. I don't know about you, but <laughs> someone's will or someone's plan for my life doesn't sound like too tasty of a meal. But that's neither here nor there. Jesus was really about that life. That's, <laughs> that's, that's my reflection when I think about what happened at the crucifixion. There were many ways in which Jesus prepared folks for his suffering, one of which was telling them to be silent about it at the beginning stages of his ministry. It's like, not yet, not yet, not yet. My messianic, uh, yes, I don't know how to say that. The, the, the fact that I am the Messiah can't be known publicly yet. And demons tried to propagate it. Um, people who experienced his healing tried to propagate it in, in humility and an understanding of what his father's will is. It's like, it's not the time yet. The light of the world is here and is not meant to be carried to his crucifixion. But when the time did come, Jesus was very loud, <laughs> riding on a donkey to confront imperialistic powers, being kissed by his friend and calling him out for it, telling Peter to withdraw his sword. All of this, it, it, it's a culmination of Jesus saying after the garden prayer, I, let's do this thing, Father. The light of the world is about to experience nothing but darkness. The sent one is about to be cast out. The bread of heaven is doomed for starvation. The living one is about to descend into the dirt to become of the matter with which he created his creatures. Now, as a theology nerd, we could talk atonement theories, meaning what really happened on the cross. Um, three of the main ones that theologians typically discuss are Jesus's death as a moral example, a model for how we should live our lives. One as uh, there's a ransom theory of uh, Jesus giving his life up, particularly to the devil to free us from the shackles of bondage of fear, sin, and shame, and to be brought to God, or one of substitution, satisfaction to God. Um, and there are many different types of substitution theories. There's penal substitution, which means Christ, as our substitute on the cross, um, was also penalized on the cross, meaning the Father turned his face away from Christ. Jesus absorbed all our wrath on the cross and experienced nothing but suffering and none of his father's pleasure. And all of that was imputed to us. We could talk about that. And there could be fruitful discussions. In fact, I've spent many of my the years of my life thinking about these things and wondering how it applies to my daily experience with God. But when I just reflect on the Jesus that I love, the one whom Dr. Cornell West calls the sweet Jesus, whose love lifted him on that cross. I think that 
though there's no overturning his decision, that there are no there was no apparent different way to bring about the redemption of the world. I can stare there at Golgotha and accept that the veil was torn. That entry into God's presence has been made possible. And though I don't always like the mechanisms through which it was brought about, though I don't always understand it, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me.